This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When a Georgia river starts coughing up bodies. He was wrapped in a sleeping bag, draped in chains with bricks. They pulled another body of a female. The cops have to wonder, is it a serial killer at work, or is it a case of bad blood? Fred White was the main son of this. And betrayal. Carl heard through the grapevine, Liddy's running her mouth. That sets in motion a deadly, swampy chain reaction. The Flint River is a winding snake of a waterway that heads south from Atlanta, twisting and turning through the weeds and overhanging trees. The Flint River is very nasty. It's not really a place you would want to go. It's muddy, it's murky water, it's a more swampy area. Five days before Christmas in 1977, Two duck hunters are mucking their way down to the river's edge from the Flint River Bridge, which marks the border between Fayette and Clayton counties. But instead of ducks, they find something utterly horrific. The badly decomposing remains of a woman. The duck hunters saw it and thought they thought that it was a body, and they called the sheriff's office. Police from both Fayette and Clayton counties arrive at the scene. The first body that was located, they could tell had been in the water for quite some time just because of the decomposition. The woman is nude. A white plastic bag encloses her head, and she's tied to cinder blocks. But this unfortunate soul didn't die by drowning. She's got two gunshots to the head. Looks like a 38 caliber. As crime scene investigators search for clues, 
Fayette County Sheriff Randall Johnson watches from the bridge. While they were looking at the scene, Sheriff Johnson noticed that there was something else out in the water. There's something red down there just past that lock. Go down there and check it out, see what it is. Turns out it's a sleeping bag and it's not empty. They pulled another body of a female. It's a fresh body. This corpse, located on the Fayette County side of the river, is not nearly as decomposed as the first. Looks like she's only been in the water a few days at most. And there's something else. When she was discovered, it was discovered that her pants, the crotch area, had been cut out. A right kit would have done no good because she's in the river. She's been shot three times, in the abdomen, leg, and the back of the head. Like the first body, a 38 caliber appears to be the likely murder weapon. And she's also tied to a cinder block. The county sheriffs quickly realized they could be facing something truly sinister. Are they dealing with a serial killer? They agree to assign the homicides according to their jurisdictions. They cooperated very well together, and so everything that was in Clayton County's case file was in Fayette County's case file. The two-month-old corpse doesn't hold many clues for Clayton County cops. Because of the decomposition, uh, the skin slippage, not really able to get fingerprints. Their only hope is to try and match dental impressions with missing persons reports. Meanwhile, Fayette County Police have an easier time identifying the other victim. The coroner confirms that she was killed two or three days ago, and her face is clearly visible. At a missing persons complaint had been filed, so they knew pretty quick that it was Liddy. 31-year-old Liddy Evans was a divorced mother of four who lived with a 28-year-old firefighter named Joe Cleveland. Joe was known to hang out with some shady characters, criminals, and drug dealers. Still, no one believes that Joe would ever harm Liddy. Trouble is, detectives can't find him. Liddy's family tells police that around December 17th, she and Joe would plan to head out of town. They were going on a camping trip that weekend. They were all going to go to Panama City for a vacation. And that's the last anyone heard from them. A couple weeks later, matching dental records to missing persons reports, Clayton County Police score a hit on their own Jane Doe. Detectives reach out to the person who reported Betty Jo Eflin missing, her daughter Linda. Hello? They told me it was my mother and that they were sorry and that they would find who did it and make sure that they were punished. 45-year-old Betty Jo Eflin hailed from Fort Worth, Texas, but her job in the trucking industry brought her to Georgia earlier that year. My mother was uh, a free spirit. She was the life of the party. She uh, loved hard and a lot, <laughs> and you couldn't help but love her back. The crowd Betty Jo fell in with wasn't exactly saintly. Then God got involved in the things she got involved in. Drugs, marijuana, uh, coke. During that long, hot summer of 77, 
the sassy Texan attracted the attention of one man in particular, Fred Wyatt. Fred was a career criminal. He was a truck driver, and, and that was a legitimate business, but he used that to haul marijuana, and that was where he was making his money. She, um, you know, found Fred to be kind of exciting because he had that bad boy reputation. Fred had a spark for her, so they ended up getting together. As her daughter Linda tells detectives, Fred wasn't the healthiest choice for Betty Jo. Linda knows this because her mom brought Fred to visit her in Texas four months ago. My gut told me there's something wrong with this man. He was uh, hardened. His eyes were dead. Even worse, it looked to Linda like Fred was abusive. She had bruises on her arm, and she told me she had fallen. What is that? How did that happen? He just fell up against the door. Well, you don't get fingerprint bruises from falling. And to top it all off... Fred and I are going to get married. But less than two months after they said their vows, Linda got a troubling phone call from Fred who claimed he'd just returned home after a long haul in his rig. He said Betty Jo was missing. He found that the house had been disturbed, that was things knocked over, so he feared that something bad had taken place and had happened to Betty Jo. He called and said she wasn't there and uh, wanted to know if she'd come home, and I said no. At first, folks wondered if Betty Jo had finally seen the light and run off. Still, Linda couldn't help but worry. And I kept calling and calling, calling, could not get an answer. I went to the family and I said, something's wrong. Finally, after two and a half weeks, I called and, and filed a missing persons report. Now, despite his apparent distress, Linda is convinced Fred had something to do with her mother ending up dead in the Flint River. He was the only one that, in my mind, that could have done anything to her. You could tell she cared about him, but you could tell she was fearful of him, too. When Clayton County police check out Fred's extensive criminal record, they realize they've got a hot person of interest. Fred Wyatt. They go looking for him at the couple's home, but there's no answer. Fred Wyatt has vanished. Two women are murdered, and no trace of their significant others. Seems like the honeymoon is over. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The holiday season of 1977 turns bleak when Georgia police find two women shot to death and dumped in the murky shallows of the Flint River. Betty Jo Eflin was killed first, two months before Liddy Evans. Now detectives want to talk to the men in their lives, but they can't find them. Though not for long. It's soon crystal clear why Betty Jo's husband, Fred Wyatt, can't be reached. He's dead, too. Apparently, sometime in November, soon after Fred called Betty Jo's daughter looking for his wife, he was killed in a car accident with a train. I found it very strange that all of a sudden he'd be dead, too. Detectives also think it's odd. Fred had a long rap sheet for armed robbery, theft, and drug dealing. So he was a natural person of interest. Could he have murdered Betty Jo and then committed suicide? According to the police report, Fred's car hit a moving train head on. But then investigators pick up on something peculiar in photos of the accident. He slumped over between the the gear shifter and the dashboard. Fred was a rather large man, so the way the seat was positioned, he would have not fit behind the steering wheel. You can look at the pictures and tell that train wreck didn't kill him. It was obvious it would not have been a fatality. Detectives conclude that Fred's body was moved to the driver's seat after the collision. After the other, the other murders, they decided they better go back and take a better look at Fred's case. They went back and, and dug Fred back up. And what do you know? It appears Fred's got a far more conspicuous cause of death a 22 caliber bullet hole in his left ear. I hate to second guess other law enforcement, but they just missed it. Not only was Fred Wyatt murdered, it looks like his killer went to great lengths to try and hide it by staging the accident with the train. Now police have three bodies on their hands and still no answers. 
until a new detail about Fred's death raises a red flag. 16 days after his death, he had over $13,000 in insurance payouts. Not to his wife, Betty Jo, who was already dead, but to a woman named Marie Jackson Wyatt. Police learned that Marie was Fred's girlfriend. Hey, baby. Hey, honey. Before he married Betty Jo. She called herself his wife, but they, they never married. She even took his name. I like those here. Thank you. Thanks. I just got it the other day. Oh. 46-year-old Marie lived with Fred for four years in a small trailer. She admits to police she was the beneficiary of Fred's life insurance. They'd both taken out policies years ago, so it was only fair she collect. After all, she felt he owed her for what he did to her. Marie tells detectives Fred started seeing another woman earlier that summer, who they now know was Betty Jo, while he was still living with her. Somehow, Marie suspected Fred because he wasn't at home, you know, with her. He was living a double life. She couldn't believe that Fred had, had, in her eyes, betrayed her that way. And she felt used by Fred. In July, Fred left her for the attractive Texan. Marie was crushed. And angry. Especially when she heard they got married. He did for Betty Jo what he never did for Marie. He married Betty Jo. To detectives, a scorned woman clearly has a motive for getting rid of both Fred and Betty Jo. But Marie insists she had nothing to do with killing either of them. Besides, she claims there's a long list of people who wanted Fred Wyatt dead. And she's right. As they look into Fred's past, Clayton County police find a whole passel of shady characters. He was a drug dealer. He was also an, a, a, a truck driver. He would haul produce and things like that, but he'd also haul marijuana. From what they hear, the best person to ask about Fred's illegal business is his nephew, 27-year-old Carl Patton. When people owed Fred money for drugs, Carl would be the enforcer. You owe me money, man. We do this easy way, the hard way. And Fred created this image of him. In fact, Fred spread the rumor that Carl was part of the Dixie Mafia. The Dixie Mafia was a collection of people who knew each other from prison, some bootleggers, some moonshiners who branched out into drugs, murder, arson, auto theft. By all accounts, Carl is a good man to have in a fight, if he's on your side. Give us our money, man. Go, Carl. He worked closely with Fred to make sure their deals went their way. Clayton County detectives share what they know with their counterparts over in Fayette County. They're still looking for Joe Cleveland in connection with the murder of the second victim, his girlfriend, Liddy Evans. And when they mention Fred's nephew, Carl Patton, alarm bells go off. Turns out, when Liddy's family told detectives she and Joe were gonna take a vacation, they mentioned another couple. Liddy's family knew that they were supposed to be going on a trip with uh, Carl and Norma to Panama City. It seems detectives have caught a break. Apparently, Carl Patton is quite familiar with Joe Cleveland and all three murder victims. It's time. Still, those who know him say Carl Patton is a devoted husband and father. She gonna be beautiful just like her mama. You done real good. Norma didn't work. You know, she her whole livelihood was Carl. And, you know, she 
loved Carl, and he loved her. Okay, guys, well, I guess we're just gonna shoot from the hill here. Uh, detective, you want to start? The counties did work together. Um, in fact, they, you know, went out to the suspect's house. Carl says he knew about Fred's recent marriage to Betty Jo, and he's still close to Fred's ex-girlfriend, Marie. So, uh, when was the last time you saw Joe and Liddy? Things get more interesting when cops ask about the other victim. Carl says he's known Joe Cleveland since childhood. And Joe and Liddy would frequently go on double dates with Carl and Norma. Good meal, baby. Welcome down. It's nice to have you guys over. Thanks for dinner. Appreciate it. Thanks for the beers. Good times. Good times. Cheers. In fact, the four of them were planning a trip together a few weeks back. We're supposed to go to Panama City. Yeah, we didn't actually get to go there. Carl's story was that Liddy and Joe had gotten into a fight and called off the trip to Panama City. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they went on home. No Call. sense in going if people ain't getting along, so. Called the whole thing off. Investigators don't buy it. What's more, they find it striking that the couple doesn't seem at all curious about what happened to Liddy and Joe. Carl, do you mind if we inspect your car? No. No, I don't care. They opened the trunk and they did find some blood there. For Fayette County Police, it's enough to take Carl and Norma into custody while they get a search warrant for the house. Which turns out to be a treasure trove of incriminating evidence. Two 38 caliber shells that could match Liddy's gunshot wounds. Sleeping bags similar to the one she was found wrapped in. And a cushion with blood stains. All right, officer, we'll bag it as evidence. Yes, sir. They blood typed it, and Liddy had a rare form of, of type A blood, and they typed it to be her type blood. Liddy's blood type is found in only 5% of the population. Still, it's not enough to confirm that the blood is hers. We had a sharp DA. He said, you've got a lot of circumstantial evidence, but that's all you've got. Being able to make an arrest wasn't enough. You had to be able to get a conviction or else you could set a killer loose with double jeopardy protecting him from ever being put away. And so Carl and Norma are released from jail. God, I hope that's over. I can't do that again. But their worries are far from over. Carl Patton, I'm Officer Williams and I have a warrant to search the house. Clayton County Police have their own search warrant connected to their investigation into the murders of Fred and Betty Jo Wyatt. It seems someone spotted Carl and his buddy Joe taking furniture out of Fred and Betty Jo's house. They rented a U-Haul and went and got what they wanted. I think Carl and Joe cleared the house out. Accompanying the police on their search is Betty Jo's daughter, Linda. Now ma'am, you see anything that looks familiar to you? And when she sees Carl Patton, her blood freezes. He was not human. He was cold. He was dirty. He said, you look just like your mother. He knew who I was. As the search proceeds, Linda is shocked by what they find. They took me into the bedroom off the living room in their home, and it ended up being my mother's bedroom furniture. And then I looked over and laying on top of a box was my mother's photo album of me, my brother, and our family. 
But the final straw for Linda is when she sees Carl's wife, Norma. I saw the vest she had on, which was my mother's. Where did you get that vest? She had no right to have that. And I remember going across the room, and I remember my hands on her throat. That's my mom. Take off the vest. No, take off the vest. Take it off. And I'm screaming at her to take off the vest. Police are now convinced they've found their killers, or at least one of them. But a big piece of the picture remains missing. The man they now believe to be Carl's accomplice, Joe Cleveland. Then, four months after Betty Jo Eflin and Liddy Evans were found floating in the swampy Flint River, Joe Cleveland surfaces, literally. Joe had been dumped in the Okmulgee River, 60 miles away and his body is in similar condition to the other victims. He was wrapped in a sleeping bag, uh, draped in chains with bricks. He had been shot once in the head with a 38 caliber, and ballistics soon confirmed that the bullet came from the same gun used to kill Joe's girlfriend, Liddy Evans. The body count is up to four. The coroner confirms Joe's blood type is O, the same blood type found in the trunk of Carl Patton's car. Back then, we didn't have DNA like we do today. All they were able to tell is that it was an O-type blood, and they weren't able to actually make a match, though, at that time. The evidence is overwhelming. Now, detectives are sure that Carl Patton is their killer, but they still have no clue as to his motive, and they have no witnesses or evidence placing him at any of the crime scenes nor do they have a murder weapon. The prosecutors felt they didn't have enough to win the case, and they decided it would be best to wait. As spring turns to summer, the case goes cold. There was nothing I could do, uh, nothing. And uh, it's a very hurtful feeling when it comes to someone you love that much. The homicides might never have been solved if not for the determined work of one Fayette County detective, Major Bruce Jordan. We're about to crack this thing. 25 years later. I found some Polaroid color pictures of a cushion inside a camper that had blood on it. I, I said at the time, if, if I can find that cushion, I can solve this case. Jordan knew that the blood type matches that were circumstantial evidence in 1978 could now be turned into hard evidence, thanks to DNA testing. In the back of the evidence room, there were crates that had Flint River murder written on them. And, uh, and I found that cushion in about 10 minutes. I said, this is it, right here. Sure enough, the DNA test confirms the blood is a match to Liddy Evans. Finally, after too many years of wondering if they would ever nail Carl Patton, police are ready to take him down. Open up in there, police! They hit it from all locations went in, of course, they never knew what was going on, and move, grabbed police. Carl up out of the bed. Carl didn't look good. Shirtless, belly hanging out, hair, bad case of bedhead, and uh, kind of wild look on his face. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. But when 25 years has just come crashing down on you, yeah, I guess... You can be expected to look like that. No. 
Major Jordan takes Carl's wife to the kitchen. After more than two decades, he hopes the truth will finally be revealed. I said, Norman, if you helped him kill them, don't say a word to me. But if all you did was hide bodies, you better talk to me. Are you willing to testify? <laughs> yes. Norman, I need you to sign this for me. And she told me the whole story there at the dining room table at 4 o'clock in the morning when Carl was out in the patrol car. Norma said then that she had been telling Carl that DNA was available now and that it was going to catch up to him. According to Norma, the trouble seemed to start when Carl decided it was time to change his drug dealing arrangement with his uncle, Fred Wyatt. Fred Wyatt was nothing but a bully. He was a mean son of a bitch. He beat Carl. Carl hated Fred. Yeah, you go, Carl. Get it. Carl believed that Fred was shorting him on profits from their marijuana business. He was also angry about Fred's treatment of his former girlfriend, Marie, who Carl doted on. Carl, over and over again, saw Fred knock Marie to the ground. I've had it with you, woman! Shut up! I've had it! Shut up! I've had it! And beat her. Shut up! I've had it! Hey! Don't touch him! Get off of me! He considered Marie as his aunt, but she was more like a mother figure to him. Leave him alone! And he couldn't stand to see the abuse that that Fred was doing. I've had it with you, both of you, just go to hell! So when Fred left Marie for Betty Jo Eflin, it was the final straw. Fred had to die. And that's how Carl's longtime friend Joe Cleveland got involved. Joe had always idolized Carl and envied his life of crime and the cash it brought in. Carl, having been known to be supposedly in the Dixie Mafia and dealing with drugs and all, Joe kind of wanted to have that reputation as well. Next time get rid of Fred. Fred? Yeah, man. Time to take over. You want to be part of the Dixie Mafia, this kind of stuff you know how to do. Yeah, man, I'll help you out. Hey, listen to me. This goes down, I can't tell nobody. Hey, not even Liddy. On a crisp October afternoon in 1977, Carl and Joe drove over to the home Fred shared with his wife of two months, Betty Jo. Hey, how are y'all today? Fred here? Um, no, Fred's not going to be here for a while, but if you want to come in and talk, I'm... Just made some tea. Okay. Come on in. She told him at that time that Fred was on an over-the-road trip, you know, being a truck driver and all. They came in and visited for a while. I could never imagine that married life would be like this. He's the perfect man. Have you seen my wedding band? The more Betty Jo gushed about life with her new husband, the angrier Carl became. Look how shiny it is. Carl got mad because he knew that You know, Marie was supposed to be with Fred. Joe saw that Carl could hardly stand being in the same room with Betty Jo, anxious to please his buddy and pass his so-called Dixie Mafia initiation test. Joe made a bold move. I think Joe kind of jumped the gun, pulled the gun and shot her. Carl wasn't expecting that. We gotta clean this up. 
After wrapping Betty Jo's head in a trash bag, Carl and Joe stripped her down and rolled her in a blanket. Then dumped the body in the trunk of Betty Jo's own car. Where are we going? Flint River. The Flint River Bridge, Carl fished there as a kid. And that was just, I guess, the first thing he thought of. All right, this is a good spot right here. Carl decided to dispose of the body mafia style, weighing it down with cinder blocks and sinking it into the swampy depths of the Flint River. Before they split up, Carl gave Joe a stern reminder. He tells Joe, you can't say a word about this. You keep your mouth shut. I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't want to get caught either. A lot worse things than getting caught, let me tell you. Four weeks after Betty Joe's murder, Carl got back to his original plan. He called his uncle, Fred, and said they should catch up over a few beers. Fred agreed and picked up his nephew. You're going to like it out here. Yeah, we're going to shoot some guns. Yep. Eventually, Fred pulled over at an isolated farm. It was almost like old times as they drank beer and took pot shots at the empties. Fred got suspicious, you know, that Carl had something to do with it because Fred wasn't, he wasn't stupid. He knew, he knew Carl's relationship to Marie. What, what happened to Betty Joe? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I know when you're lying, you're lying to me right now. I didn't do nothing. We can talk about it later. Now let's go set the cans up. Yeah. Go. All right. Carl said, I knew if I didn't kill him, he was going to kill me. So Fred went and set the cans up, and Carl shot him. The shot to the side of the head was instantly fatal. But Carl had a plan for how to dispose of Fred's body to make it look like an accident. Yeah, Joe, it's Carl. Together, they loaded Fred back into his car and drove to a nearby train crossing. They put him in, in, the, in the front seat and waited for the train. When the train came, you know, Joe hit the gas and let the car go and, and hit the train. Fred was in the passenger seat at the time and then pulled him into the driver's seat. Just as they'd hoped, their plan worked. Fred's death was ruled accidental at first. To Carl and Joe, it looked like they had gotten away with murder again. But detectives still want to know what happened to Joe and to his girlfriend, Liddy. So Norma starts filling in the details. In the weeks after committing the two murders, Joe apparently couldn't keep his mouth shut. Okay, I got to talk to you about something. I killed Betty Joe. What are you telling me? She was appalled, and uh, and uh, and she was always afraid of Carl. And then that just made her worse. She became very scared, and confided in her mother. It's Carl. Carl heard through the grapevine. Liddy's running her mouth. What? 
and Carl, you know, made his mind up, uh, you know, we can't have this. Norma says that she and Carl agreed. The loose talk must be stopped. Joan Liddy gonna ruin everything. We gotta shut him up. Whatever you say, Carl. So they invited him on a little road trip to Florida. Hey, Joe, it's Carl. Yeah, hey, what you doing this weekend? Hey, let's go camping. Joe and Liddy sent the kids to their father's house. And met up with their friends. They sat around, started drinking. Carl and Joe started playing with handguns, um, swapping them back and forth. Hey, what's your gun? You sure you can handle this gun? Let me see it. All right. Be careful, that thing. I mean, guns, you know. Just have a little fun. And just out of the blue. You shot me! Then he shot her in the head. Carl and then around and shot Joe. Norma's sitting there and saw her husband's best friend get killed and his girlfriend. Norma helped him take the bodies to the camper that was located in the backyard. Oh, God. Norma, go inside and clean up. All right. Carl sat alone with the bodies, and then he committed one last unspeakable act of rage. Carl said, I hated Liddy because she's the reason I had to kill Joe. After cutting a hole in the crotch of Liddy's pants, he raped her lifeless body. He said that was the last indignity I wanted to show to her. Later, Carl tied cinder blocks to Joe and Liddy's feet and hands, shoving them into sleeping bags, tied with rope and logging chains. But he didn't realize that Liddy's body left blood stains behind. They wait till nightfall. Put her in. Okay, do my end of yours. And then they loaded them up. Where do you think we're going? Going down the Flint River. It had been two months and Betty Jo hadn't been found yet. And that's what made Carl and them feel confident to go and, and dump the other body there. Get in the car. They dumped. Liddy into the Flint River. Then they took Joe and dumped him in the Old Mulgee River. Oversight. One, two, three. But Carl's luck ran out three days later when the duck hunters made their grisly discovery in the Flint River. It has taken 25 years, but with Norma Patton's cooperation, detectives have finally put all the pieces together. Norma, I need you to sign this for me. In exchange for immunity on murder charges, Norma agrees to testify against her husband. When I talked to Norma about why, after all those years, she was finally cooperating. Because it was time for it to be over. Hoping to avoid the death penalty, Carl pleads guilty to all four murders. He had been basically running for 25 years, so there was no disputing it. He was guilty, and we knew it, so what was the point in trying to fight it? But then Carl drops a bombshell. He claims the idea to murder Fred Wyatt that kicked off the entire murder spree wasn't his. Instead, he says the deadly chain reaction was started by Fred's former girlfriend, Marie. Marie was a manipulator. She used Carl Patton to do her, her dirty work. According to Carl, Marie came to him promising a share of the life insurance money if he would get rid of Fred. 
he told me that uh, he felt like he was doing the world a favor by getting rid of Fred Wyatt. He said he was a mean son of a bitch. And the most shocking confession of all is that this wasn't the first time he'd killed for Marie. I said, did you ever kill anybody else besides these four? Killed Richard Jackson. Marie Jackson's husband? Bet you didn't know that, did you? Leave me alone. Don't you walk away from me. In 1973, before she hooked up with Fred Wyatt, Marie was married to a man named Richard Jackson. You did bad this time, woman. You Marie says he was an abusive, mean-tempered man. Turning on her charm, she made a special request of a young man she befriended. Carl said that he had seen Fred knock her to the ground one too many times. Carl's explanation was to protect Marie from these abusive men in her life. I'm tired of this. Especially can't do this no more. Can you kill him for me? I have a life insurance policy. $5,000. Split it with you. Carl agreed, and just as he would do again later, he recruited his buddy Joe Cleveland to help him kill Marie's husband. They were riding down the road, and uh, Richard noticed somebody was following him, and it was Joe Cleveland. Carl. Yeah? I think someone's following us. Pull over. Let's check it out. Richard noticed that Carl had a gun, and Richard got out running, and the two of them shot him down. To detectives, Carl's story is believable, but still shocking. That floored me. And I knew about Richard Jackson's death, but I had another suspect in mind for that, and it was not Carl. In 2003, Carl Patton is sentenced to five consecutive life terms, one for each life he took. Uh, the court that you be sentenced to the state penitentiary for your natural life. For a case that took so long to come into the light, it ended very quickly. He was a low-down killer who ended five lives and scarred countless others. He got to live 25 years free after doing that, and now he's paying, paying the price. Carl will die in prison. As for Carl's wife, Norma, in exchange for testifying, she is charged only with concealing the death of another. She gets a year's probation and a $1,000 fine. Not one time did she say she was sorry for any of it. It was uh, sickening. And Marie Jackson Wyatt, the woman who set off this chain reaction of death, she would never be held accountable for her crimes. Marie skated until she died in 98 of cancer. She had people killed that got in the way of her greed and lust. I don't care if she didn't pull the trigger, Marie was a killer. For Linda Delaney, Peace is hard to come by. I want my mom to be remembered as that free spirit she was. She was beautiful. But there's hardly a day in all these years I don't think about my mother. Hold up. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.